All right, one more lecture, and then we'll take a little break. Which of the following statements concerning results of mitral repair for valvular insufficiency is correct? Anterior leaflet repair is equally as effective as posterior leaflet repair. Endocarditis incidence exceeds 2% per patient year. Late failure for degenerative disease exceeds that for rheumatic disease. Left ventricular outflow tract obstruction can occur. Thromboembolism incidence exceeds 2% per patient year. Okay, so most of you got that right. So elderly outflow tract obstruction, SAM, uh, can occur after mitral repair. So, you know, this, this is one of the success stories of cardiac surgery, the so-called French correction, Alain Carpentier. So if you don't know this story of how he figured out posterior leaflet repair and how it puts people back on the same life curve as other humans in, in France is, is a wonderful story. So learn that. All right, so do we have a perfect valve? No. These are the characteristics you'd like in a perfect valve. Uh, I'm sure we could make one if it was super expensive, but uh, we don't have that. So that's why we have, uh, have to talk about how we choose a valve for a patient. So it's primarily based on the hemodynamic need of the patient, their risk or perceived risk of anticoagulation and required durability. Other considerations, small aortic root, older patients, those that have other medical conditions that already require anticoagulation or you don't want to anticoagulate them, women desiring to bear children, a lifestyle, that uh, requires or precludes anticoagulation and their ability or desire to undergo reoperation. Now, most people don't want to have an operation, but um, some will consider that in the face of having to take anticoagulation. And then we don't have this answer here yet on valve and valve transcatheter therapy, emerging rapidly accumulating data, but nothing long-term. Hemodynamic performance, uh, I had mentioned the homograft and autograft tend to be the best, followed by the stentless heterografts and the mitral position Valve repair, of course, will be the best as long as you don't make the valve stenotic. Then uh, stented or mechanical prosthesis is pretty equivalent. Thrombosis and hemorrhage, again, homograft and autograft tend to be best. We talked about pretty equivalent between bioprosthesis and mechanical prosthesis as long as they're well anticoagulated. And durability, uh, of course, is best with the mechanical prosthesis. These are replacement trends over time. I think this is no surprise to anyone over the past couple of decades. Now, bioprosthetic valves are much more favored by both patients and probably uh, physicians as well. Infection's important. We talk, you'll hear some more about endocarditis, the homograft and autograft most resistant. The other two that's pretty equivalent, about a 4% reinfection rate over time. These stentless bioprosthesis, you should be familiar with these uh, devices. Um, the stent is the major factor that, that governs stress on a prosthetic leaflet. So if you take the stent out, then they tend to last longer. They have better hemodynamics. They have a full range of sizes, various ways you can implant them. We have excellent long-term follow-up with these valves now. Uh, many are treated with anti-calcification treatment, so, so terrific uh, options for patients. Mechanical prostheses are the most commonly used worldwide. Again, excellent durability. You do have this incidence of anticoagulation-related complications. We don't really even see the ball valves anymore. We used to occasionally take one out, but most of these patients have probably, probably died at this point. Tilting disc and bileaflet are basically equivalent in their thrombogenic potential. Now let's talk really about transcatheter valves. So Multiple approaches, basically what we do now is it's almost essentially transfemoral 
if they need alternative access, it's probably transcarotid or transubclavian. Transapical has really fallen out of favor. We have rapidly accumulating, I would say now, mid to long-term data with these valves. Uh, durability, we're starting to understand, and the appropriate use is becoming more defined. So this is transfemoral TAVR. If you haven't seen this, you come up from the groin, retrograde, balloon expand or self-expand a valve within the native aortic valve. This is transapical access, again, direct access, anagrade, same balloon or self-expanding deployment. So the U.S. partner trial was the Edwards valve. That was the first one that really uh, sort of launched this, uh, this endeavor. There are two cohorts. Cohort B was the valve versus medical therapy. And as expected, if you don't do anything for someone with aortic stenosis, they die. So it had marked benefit versus doing nothing. Cohort A was the high risk. So that was standard aortic valve replacement versus TAVR, first generation TAVR valves. In this cohort, stroke rate was higher in TAVR patients. Vascular complications were higher. These were pretty big sheaths going up the groin. And the one-year mortality was essentially equivalent, a little bit less in TAVR. So this is what put TAVR on the map as, a, as a, an accepted therapy for aortic valve disease. Then we had multiple trials, right? It was high risk, then moderate risk, then low risk, okay? So these are all the trials for the various valves that came out. So partner two and um, the Sertavi trial from the Medtronic valve, those are the intermediate risk ones, both of them 1,000 patients plus. Both of them showed at one and two years uh, better outcomes or equivalent outcomes for TAVR compared to SAVR. So that pushed TAVR acceptability to the intermediate risk patients. And then, uh, then we got to the low risk ones that came out in 2019. So they're both the Sapien 3 and Core Valve. Again, thousands of patients. Uh, early outcomes showed uh, lower composite uh, outcomes for uh, TAVR. So both valves are approved by the FDA in August 2019 for basically any patient with aortic stenosis. So here are the TAVR indications uh, in 2020. So just, just understand that it should start right here with shared decision-making with the patient and a heart valve team with discussion of both, right? So that's, that's the recommendation that patients get equipoise on how it's done. If they're higher prohibitive risk, sorry, I couldn't put this all on one slide. You kind of go, got to go left to right here. So higher prohibitive risk, they go right over here to this one. If they're going to live long enough and have anat suitable anatomy, they get TAVR. Otherwise, it's palliative care. If they're not high or prohibitive risk, and you come down here to patient age, so these are the 2020 recommendations. If they're young, mechanical valve or autographed. If they're middle-aged, 50 to 65, mechanical or bi bioprosthetic, right? So valve replacement, SAVR is the recommended one. Older by a prosthetic valve. So then you start taking them. If they choose, the patient chooses a bioprosthetic valve, then you go down this pathway, right? If they're symptomatic and reduced ejection fraction, they should have an aortic valve replacement, a surgical one. Unfortunately, almost everybody goes down this pathway and you try to figure out whether they should have a TAVR or a SAVR. So that's where we are. But just understand the guidelines. Surgical valve replacement is recommended for sort of middle-aged people that have a little bit reduced function. All right, other information about TAVR. So cost effectiveness is, is good. It's well within accepted values. Pacemaker implant rates used to be a little bit higher with core valve compared to Sapien, but uh, advanced, you know, understanding of this and the techniques, those, that's declining as well as paravalvular leak rates. And then valve and valve has become quite popular with high implantation success rates and improvement in symptoms. 
and maybe effective treatment for high-risk redo patients with failed bioprosthesis. You'll, we'll talk in our literature review, talk about some new publications to show that's not probably as uh, awesome as we think it might be, and we're, we're starting to understand this procedure as well. For the mitral valve, there are very limited transcatheter trans indications. There's really only one indication. It's a class 2B indication, and that's with the mitral clip. So it's severely symptomatic patients, class 3 or class 4 heart failure, with severe primary mitral insufficiency with favorable anatomy but prohibitive risk. So it's pretty defined who gets that. Now, there are lots and lots of trials going on with new devices about how we do that. So this is this is where the recommendations came from, the Everest II trial. So it's edge-to-edge -edge repair uh, compared to surgical repair. At four years, mortality is equivalent. Severe MR was equivalent. Uh, the need for surgery for recurrent MR was much higher in the mitral clip group. About a quarter of the patients had to eventually have surgery versus 5% initially having operation. And as I said, there are multiple new, de new devices, both for repair and replacement techniques uh, for the mitral position. So again, here's your American Heart Recommendations 2020 guidelines. Um, vast majority of this is mitral valve operations, repair replacements, preferably at a, uh, a valve center, okay, a comprehensive valve center. So transcatheter, again, is way over here. It's higher prohibitive risk. They've got to have favorable anatomy and, and uh, meet the criteria there. AFib and valvular disease, so anticoagulation, Reduce the risk of stroke in patients with AFib. Remember, if you have a large immobile atrium and valve disease, they'll have a high risk of stroke, so you need to maintain that anticoagulation after valve replacement, and a bioprosthesis will be less beneficial when you're talking just about anticoagulation. TIA is the most common embolic event, about 2.5% per year with appropriate anticoagulation. We standardize that on the INR. As you all know, it's a narrow therapeutic range. There are a lot of publications now about unrecognized subclinical leaflet thrombosis, particularly in TAVR valves, so more use of Coumadin and other anticoagulation to help protect these valves. But as I mentioned earlier, the novel oral anticoagulants are not approved for valvular heart disease currently, so it's Coumadin is what you use. And here's that management. We put this in here twice, so you just have a good reference for that. All right, which of the following statements is true concerning bioprosthetic valves? Rate of valve structural deterioration exceeds 0.5% per patient year the first 10 years. The aortic prosthesis shows a higher failure rate than the mitral prosthesis. Valve failure usually occurs suddenly due to cusp detachment. Rate of thromboembolic events is lower than that of mechanical valves in both mitral and aortic positions. So we didn't talk a lot about this, but use your good judgment. Okay, so let me just go through that. So, so that's a pretty high rate of structural deterioration. We wouldn't be putting a lot of valves out if they were wearing out this fast. So this is, it's lower than that. Mitral valves wear out quicker than aortic valves. Valve failure in most bioprosthetic valves occurs by stenosis. They gradually narrow. But it can, you can have a sudden cusp attachment when it tears. But most of them are stenosis. And then this is the correct answer. It's, it's lower than that of mechanical valves, but not significantly so. Pretty similar, but lower than that. 